In a previous session, we attempted to present a short biographical sketch for some of the great Greek elders of the 20th century. We used the testimony of a hierarch who spent a great deal of time around these precious vessels of the Holy Spirit. In this program, we will translate excerpts of another radio interview recorded in Athens. The radio host, Mr. Sarandaliotis, is interviewing one of Orthodox's brightest theologians, a spiritual child of the Thrillic Bishop of Florina, Agustinos Candiotis, a philologist and theologian, Mr. Nikolaos Sotiropoulos. Mr. Sotiropoulos is well known for his missionary zeal and his tireless struggle for the defense of the truth and the struggle against heresy. He's heard by Greeks all over the world, and he preaches in Australia, Canada, US, and all over Greece and Cyprus. Back in the early 90s, we had the great pleasure to have Mr. Sotiropoulos visit us here in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and we got to spend several days with him. And we now begin the translation of this radio program. Mr. Sotiropoulos, we would like to thank you for your kindness to join us in today's program to speak and offer your personal experience with these great Greek elders who slept in the Lord recently, the elders who brighten the horizons of our church in these last days. Mr. Sandaraliotis, I would like to thank you for your hospitality on this radio station, on this radio program. And I would like to wish our listeners a good new year a year of repentance and salvation. We especially need to pray so our martyric nation does not become involved in a polemic confrontation or an act of war. And if God allows such a trial due to our impiety and lack of repentance, if he allows such a trial, we pray that he protects this martyric land as much as possible. I had written an article, as you mentioned, about the elders who slept in the Lord recently. I had the great blessing to meet these truly amazing people. Father Yerasmos Makrianitis was a monk of the Holy Mountain. I met him two years ago when I was passing through Mount Athos. He had a great gift of the Holy Spirit. He was a hymnographer. He did not study in any university. He did not learn the ancient Greek language. However, he composed tremendous hymns and he wrote a great number of services to saints of our church and all this in the ancient Greek language. He's the hymnographer of the church of our days. I have studied philology, literature. I have had extensive studies of the ancient Greek language, but I'm not in a position to write hymns in the ancient Greek or write services for the saints in the ancient Greek tongue. 
And he didn't do this once or twice. He has written over 100 services and many, many hymns. So while in his presence, I asked, Father Gerasimus, how do you write hymns in ancient Greek? Have you had any studies in ancient Greek? He chuckled a bit and he said, no, my child, I didn't go to school at all. But Yeronda, how do you write and compose with such ease? We are university graduates here, and we don't dare to write a single hymn in the ancient Greek tongue. We could probably do this if we lived during those times. But, my child, there is nothing impossible for the Holy Spirit. Didn't the Holy Spirit illumine the illiterate fishermen? And they possessed knowledge of all the language and all the dialects of the then known world? The Holy Spirit also illumined me, the humble monk, and he continues to do so, so I can write these services. Mr. Dimitri, uh, I just remember a similar case with an illiterate nun an abbess of a monastery here in the area of Athens. She also has written a number of hymns in the ancient Greek language. She did not even finish elementary school. And a high school teacher of philology asked her, Yerondisa, abbess, how did you write hymns in the ancient Greek language without any education? She said, one day I was sitting and I felt a cool breeze and suddenly the entire area was flooded with a heavenly fragrance and words and phrases would come to my mind so I kept writing all these things down in ancient Greek this is how I came up with these different hymns the Holy Spirit flows and acts as he wills and he provides all the gifts and when the Holy Spirit illumines the illiterate, we have a more powerful witness of his presence, a more powerful miracle. This was the case with Father Gerasimus Mikrayanitis, who wrote so many wonderful hymns and services because the Holy Spirit was inspiring him. The Holy Spirit knows all the languages, has all the wisdom because he is God. Everything is provided by the Holy Spirit. In the ancient church, the church of the apostolic years, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was much more powerful. The dividing of gifts was much richer because it was the beginning of Christianity and God gave many gifts to solidify the faith and strengthen its foundation as we read in the epistles of St. Paul. Our faith has not lost its power. We have gifts of the Holy Spirit today, and the church will always witness miracles and will always have true charismatic elders. Elders with tremendous gifts of clairvoyancy, tremendous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Many times when I meet people who lost their faith, unbelievers, I often suggest to them to go to pilgrimages known for obvious miracles, obvious for everyone go to churches where demon-possessed people gather for healing to see the energy of demons, to see unexplainable phenomena, things that surpass the natural laws, 
and the understanding of the natural men, and a number of people that went there, they believed. Some atheists even believed. They changed their life, and then they were admitting, you know, we thought all these things were pre-stories, myths. How much did we miss the mark? We were so deluded. Unfortunately, the shallowness, the sinfulness, and the fickleness of most people keeps them away from living our faith. Mr. Soteropoulos, you also had the blessing to be close to the great clairvoyant elder, Father Porfirios. Can you please tell us a few things about him? Of course, I was much more connected with Father Porfirios, much more so than Elder Yakovos and Yerasimus. And for years I used to hear some amazing things about this elder, but I did not pay much attention. I consider these things to be exaggerated accounts of some of their spiritual children because around these elders sometimes we have much fanfare, thrills, and the usual works of the spiritual grapevine. So I consider these things to be somewhat stretched and the uh, works of the imagination of the infatuated visitors. But in this case, I was totally wrong. One day I received a call from an associate of mine, a fellow theologian and a philologist, and this man was a rationalist, very unbelieving when it comes to signs and miracles, a doubting Thomas, no less. When he used to hear about miracles and signs, he used to snicker and mock. He used to mock the people who were talking about these things. And he was not a bad person. He was a decent theologian, serious and conscientious. But he was very close-minded about miraculous events. I remember later on, Father Porfirius telling me about this theologian, Mr. Nico. When your friend Vangelis came to meet me, the first few times, he had the attitude of an investigator. He was like a secret policeman. He used to search me up and down. And I used to see his disposition. I could see his lack of trust, and I used to laugh with him inside. So this rationalist theologian called me one day, full of enthusiasm and deeply moved. I met a great and charismatic elder, a great soul, a miraculous elder. You must come to meet this man. He touched me like no one else. I changed my life 180 degrees. I said, who is this, Vangeli? Nico, this elder is Father Porfirios. You know, I hear his name for years, but I thought his fame is the result of some exaggerations. No, there is no exaggeration here. I visited a number of times personally. I went along with other theologians and professors. They were amazed. We saw miracles and wonders in front of our very eyes. I cannot adequately explain to you the magnitude of this man. You must definitely go to meet him. I said, Vangeli, I would consider these things stories and rumors and exaggerations, but since you are telling me otherwise, especially since you were mocking these things a few days ago, 
I have no choice to fully accept that all these things are absolutely true. So we set out with Vangeli and another Christian. And the first day we met Elder Porfirius, we witnessed a great miracle. So when we first got there, Father Porfirius asked the other Christian man who was with us, who was connected with Father Porfirius beforehand, do you have a car outside? Yes, Elder, our driver responded. Let's go for a ride to Halkida. I must see someone. So we went to Halkida and we stopped at a square. So he called this person he needed to see and they were holding a conversation inside the car. From the square, we noticed a number of trailer homes, mobile homes belonging to some French tourists, and one of these trailers was smoking. Well, we thought they lit some grill or something next to the trailer. We didn't think much of it. The elder who was on the other side of the plaza quickly summoned the driver and he said, my child, there's a fire inside the trailer. We must leave this area immediately. He saw the fire with his gift of clairvoyancy inside the trailer. We thought well, it was probably a portable stove smoking and so on. No, the elder said, there's a huge propane tank inside the trailer. Myself and this other high school teacher were outside of this trailer watching and suddenly we saw some people throwing a large propane tank outside of the trailer. We sat there dumbfounded, motionless. We froze. They were throwing clothes and blankets on top of this lit tank and the fire would not go out. The flames were getting higher. Finally, by the time the fire company showed up, the gas was all used up and the tank did not blow up. In the aftermath, we thought this was an extremely dangerous situation and under normal circumstances, an explosion would have taken place and would go up with it. The elder saw the lid tank, even though he was facing the opposite direction, he saw the grave danger and he prayed to stop the sure accident, to stop this inferno. This stuck in my mind and after a few months I said, now Elder, that day when the gas tank was lit and it failed to explode, wasn't that a miracle? Yes, my child, it was a miracle. God saved us and along with us, all the other people in those homes, they were also saved. We were a few feet away and we were watching confounded. We froze. On our way back from Hakida, we also experienced a miracle of the prophetic gift of the elder. It was a beautiful sunny day, late March, and we were thoroughly enjoying the ride back. And the driver said, Yeranda, tomorrow I have the day off. I'd like to come and help with some of the construction chores around the monastery. The elder said, no, you shouldn't come tomorrow. But elder, why not? I'm free tomorrow. I want to work. He was a pious man and he wanted to donate his time to help around the monastery. And the elder repeats, 
I told you not to come. After a few moments, he thought to give it another try. He thought, if you don't succeed the first time, try again, like a little child. Yeranda, tomorrow I have nothing to do. I'm free. Should I come to work at the monastery? I told you not to come. You know, this man was unbelievable. The elder told him three, four times no, and like a broken record, he repeated again and again for the fourth and fifth time, Yeranda, tomorrow I should come to work at the monastery. I told you not to come. Tomorrow we will be snowed in here at the monastery. I listened to this in disbelief. I thought, what is the elder saying? The weather is fantastic. Great sunny skies. Where's the snow going to come from? The next day, around the hill of Malakasa, where the monastery was, there was considerable snowfall. Whatever the elder said, it came to pass, always. I know very, very many cases of his prophetic and clairvoyant gifts from my own personal experience, and many more from the experiences of my friends and relatives who would often ask me to take them to the elder to express their problem or to seek some advice, some help, or some healing. Mr. Nico, can you please mention of a few of these experiences? Because there are many people out there who have difficulty believing. They are Christian rationalists, unfortunately. I will tell you a few of these experiences. He could see your thoughts, your problems, your sins, your virtues, your passions, illnesses. He could see it all. One time I became very ill. I had excruciating pain in my lower abdomen. So I had someone call the elder to pray for my condition. And he knew the cause of this illness. He told a person who called on my behalf, his illness is due to a severe case of food poisoning from the food he ate the previous day. The doctors at the polyclinic hospital of Athens where he served as a chaplain for 35 years the doctors were amazed because he knew all the causes of the illnesses and he could describe them with their precise scientific terms. This may be difficult for some of the rationalists to believe, but none of these things are far-fetched, not at all. So when I became well, I went to see the elder to receive his blessing. And I remember having a very light pain in an area of my abdomen. But this was nothing compared to the excruciating pain I felt the previous day. So I said, Elder, I want to thank you for your prayers on my behalf. He said, Nico, how do you feel now? Well, I'm very well, Elder, thank you. Do you have any pain? No, my pain is gone. I had a minor pain, but I disregarded it totally. Don't you feel any pain? No, nothing. He says, come close to me. And the elder pointed at a very specific area of my abdomen and he said, don't you feel a little pain in this area right here? Just a little? Yes, elder, just a little bit. Well, why don't you say it? Well, elder, it really doesn't bother me much at all. At this spot, you still have some minor pain. He was a doctor of detail. Another time, I had a sharp pain on my left hand and it wouldn't go away. 
So after three, four months, I became a little concerned and told the elder. And this time, the elder was totally blind. And while I told him about my left hand, he said, come over here. He pointed out a specific spot on my back. And he said, this pain comes from this particular part of your back. He told me to do a specific exercise. I followed his recipe, and the pain went away very shortly. On one of my visits there, three, four young women came to visit the elder, but they were dressed very immodestly. You would think they were heading for the beach. And this about 12 years ago, before he lost his physical eyesight. These girls were semi-naked, very provocative. And I remember me being very angry inside against them. I kept my distance, of course, but I was overcome with all kinds of thoughts. Here we feel fear and awe when we come to this godly elder, and these young women dare to show up in this atrocious state, exposing their body parts. I was fuming. But after a little while, I began to harbor feelings of disenchantment against the elder as well. I was waiting and expecting the elder to set them straight, to straighten them out. I was scandalized. I thought, the elder is a holy man, a saint. How, why doesn't he correct them? Of course, I didn't express any of this internal warfare of mine. And I kept silent, but I was boiling inside. I was fuming. When the elder finished his conversation with these young women, he blessed them and he sent them on their way. The elder stared at me and he said, Mr. Nico, yes, elder, I'm listening. Mr. Nico, I'm not as strict and as proper as you. Elder, what are you saying? You are more proper than all of us put together. You are more spiritual and more advanced than all of us. No, no, Mr. Nico, I'm not as proper as you. Well, why are you saying this, Elder? Well, you see, I received these young women, semi-naked, very improperly dressed, and I didn't let them have it. I didn't correct them. The Elder perceived and read the entire state of my soul, my disappointment, my anger, everything, everything I felt at that time. I became ashamed and I thought, oh my goodness, this elder doesn't miss a thing. So the elder said to me, Mr. Nico, I have a different approach. If I began to correct them and began to advise them, they wouldn't listen to me anyway because they are girls of this world. They're not spiritual. I'm slowly attempting to strengthen their faith in Christ. And when they believe in Christ, then they will change their outward appearance all by themselves. Now, if I began to correct them, they would never listen to me anyway. And this is my approach. Many times he used to read my thoughts and I would say, Elder, we can't hide anything from you. He would smile and say, eh, eh, it's the gift, the gift of God, my child. It's not me. He saw the Turkish invasion of Attila in Cyprus in 1974. He was at the Holy Mountain at the time, and he saw it 
the exact moment that was taking place. He told me this himself because I heard about this and I wanted to make sure. He was talking to some pilgrims and one of them was from Cyprus. And he pointed to the Cypriot in the group and said, can you draw me a map of Cyprus here? And this man drew a quick map of Cyprus and the elder said, here at this point, this point of Cyprus, and he pointed the exact spot, the Turks have launched an invasion at this very moment. I heard about this and later on I asked him, is this true, Yeranda? Yes, my child, God showed me this catastrophe. One day I took along with me a bank manager who had some problems with his family and I suggested to him to come with me to see the, uh, the elder, Father Porfirius, to ask for prayers, advice, and so on. So he kept him inside at least half an hour. And even though the elder was very ill, he had numerous illnesses, much pain. If someone needed extra help, the elder would keep the people inside to advise them to help them. When this man came out, he was in disbelief. What is this man? He took me apart, he analyzed me, he found my loose screws and put me back together. What an awesome papuli. What an awesome man of God. He told me all of my life secrets, my problems, the problem of my wife, the problem of my children, things that no one knows. And this man sees everything. At some point, I mentioned to the Christians of Canada that even today in Orthodoxy, we have holy people, we have saints. I, for example, know of an ascetic priest in Greece, and I did not mention his name, and I mentioned that a Christian woman, one of our associates, had advanced cancer, and she became afraid, so she went to see the elder, and he said, come, let's pray together for five minutes, and they prayed together, and he told her, don't be afraid, you will become well. She was in and out of the Metaxa Cancer Hospital of Athens, and one day, the group of doctors who were treating her for a while, they came to see her. They were no longer thinking of treatment, they totally gave up, but they were attempting to give her different pharmaceuticals to make her existence more comfortable. This cancer was at the final stages, and one day one of the university doctors, after the prayer of the elder, bolted into the room thoroughly perplexed. Mrs. Michalopoulos, what's going on with you? So many doctors around you? Did we all make a mistake? All these pieces of equipment, time after time, did they make a mistake? What do you mean, doctor? We have so many different tests, all of them positive. The latest test shows not a single trace of cancer. No, my doctor, you made no mistake. She knew she had cancer. She never doubted it. But she was a woman of faith. She also had confession of faith. She would defend our faith everywhere. If someone would try to question our church, she wasted no time in defending and standing up for the truth. So she says, no, all the doctors and all the machines did well. I did have cancer, as you, as you diagnosed correctly. But a couple of days ago, before I came here for this final operation, for this final treatment, 
I decided to visit a holy and miraculous ascetic to ask for his prayers. We prayed together for five minutes, and he told me, do not fear, you will get well. This was Penelope Michalopoulos, one of our co-workers. Someday, I took another one of our Christian co-workers by the name of Andreas Bianchi. He lives in Daphne, near Athens. And I wanted him to meet Father Porfirios and to receive his blessing. He was a very pious and faithful man. Father Porfirios tells him, I see something here at this point of your head. Andreas said, I feel fine, Elder. I, I don't feel anything out of the ordinary. Father Porfirios insisted, yes, but I see something. Four years later, at that precise position, Mr. Andreas was diagnosed with a malignant cancerous tumor. His eyesight began to diminish. He had dizzy spells and all medical exams concluded that he had cancer. The consensus of the doctors was for him to be operated on. I mentioned to him, okay, but let's first go to Father Porfirios to bless you with a sign of the cross. We went to the elder, and this is exactly what the elder saw four years before at our first meeting. The elder proceeded to describe his specific medical condition with the precise medical terms, terms that we never heard before. He described his illness exactly how it was stated in the medical reports. We were astonished. The elder, by the way, was a graduate of the second grade of elementary school. This was the extent of his education. This man was astonished and asked, Elder, what should I do? Should I go abroad for an operation or should I be operated here in Greece? The elder said, it would be better if you would go abroad, but even if you have the operation here in Greece, you will get well. So he was admitted to the Athenian Hospital of Annunciation and he was operated by Dr. Carbonis and he fell into a comatose state for 17 days. He was as good as dead. His children refused to continue to see him in this state. We don't want to see our father in this condition. He is nothing but a corpse. They did not wish to see him anymore. He showed no reaction at all. He was in a coma for 17 days. Because of this, now we call him the 17th day Lazarus. The doctors gave up. They abandoned him to die. When his wife told the doctors one day, why don't you do something? Show some interest. A hardened doctor told her, look, must everyone get well? Let's face it, a few people are going to die. You don't expect us to save everyone. Ladies, some make it, some don't. Some doctors become callous, I guess, after a number of years. Now the rest of us began to be of a troubled soul. We were beginning to lose faith. Father Porfirio said he was going to be okay, he was going to get well. So we were going to the elder for an explanation. Elder, you told us that Andreas would get well, but he's almost dead. And he's been like this for so many days. Father Porfirio was smiling with us, and he was saying, okay, okay, now why don't you continue your prayers? Continue your prayers. You pray too. On the 17th day, the day of his name day, the 30th of November, a priest monk 
came to visit him at the hospital. He blessed him with a small piece of a holy relic. He made the sign of the cross with a relic above him in the air, and instantly Andreas's eyes opened. He turned his head, and this was the first vital reaction after 17 days. From that day on, he improved on a daily basis, and he was released shortly thereafter. This was about 10 years ago, and he's enjoying great health since then. Father Porfirius had a powerful gift of seeing the future, and he used it to help people greatly. We will mention a few moving situations, and especially one with a small child. The parents brought this infant to be blessed by the elder. When he saw the infant, he asked the parents, Is your child baptized? parents said, not yet, elder. By the way, what name are you planning to give the child? And they told him. So he took the child from their arms and he lifted it in the air three times, pretending that he was playing. After he lifted the child three times in the air, he gave the baby back to them. And he told them, look, don't worry. You're a young couple and you'll have other children as well. They didn't understand at the time. They were really inattentive to these words. After a few days, the child died from suffocation. The parents then remember the words of the elder and they came back. Elder, why did you ask us if the child was baptized or not? You took it in your hands and you raised it up three times in the air. Why all this? You even told us not to worry because we will have other children. My children, I saw that this child would die. I beseech God very fervently inside to grant you this child. But this decision of God was irrevocable. So I took the child and perform aerobaptism. This child, by the way, was the first Christian to be buried at the new cemetery of Father Porfirio's monastery near the village Milici of Oropos, where a great monastic complex is being completed by the efforts of Elder Porfirios. So the child was the first Christian to be buried there. And the funeral was very touching. About 30 people were present to give the child back to the hand of the Creator. There are so many of these incidents, so many, that someone can talk about these all day long. At some point, my brother went to see Father Porfirios, and he kept him inside for about 20 minutes. And my brother told me afterwards, this man has told me all the secrets of my life and secrets known by only myself and God. Father Porfirius has done innumerable healings. And I'm sorry, but I went off the subject that was telling you a while ago that I mentioned in Canada that we still have saints in our church referring to Father Porfirius and how he healed one of our associates from cancer, Penelope. So during my talks in Canada, a mother 
who was not present at the time, and she happened to have a child with a malignant tumor in the brain, she heard about my reference to Father Porfirios from other women who were present, and she called me on a telephone from Montreal, and she said, Mr. Sotiropoulos, you mentioned about an ascetic elder in Greece with the power of healing. What's his name? I said, his name is Father Porfirios. Can you please go and find him and ask him to pray for my child? He has a cancerous growth in his brain. And please ask him if I should bring the child to him from Canada to have him blessed. So I told the elder all this, and he said, No, tell them not to go through this expense. God's grace cannot be stopped by distances. God is everywhere. If God wants to, he can heal a child all the way in Canada. It's a long trip, very expensive, so tell them not to go through this struggle. I remember this woman being full of pain from the situation, so when I went to see him, I gave him a lot of names to pray for, and I also gave him the name of this child. And as I was reading the names, he would make the sign of the cross for each name in the air. After a few days, I received a very happy phone call from Canada. Great news! This child was been, has been totally healed. The doctors were astonished. On another occasion, I went to see him right after a trip to Australia, and he told me, he told me, I was watching your missionary work in Australia. I was following you closely. And another time, he told me, I'm watching you, I'm watching you. I'm following you closely. So after one of these trips, I brought a list of names from the Christians of Australia, and I said, Elder, I will be reading these names, and you pray after each name. Just say, Lord, have mercy. So many times I would ask him for some of people's special needs, illnesses, problems. So in this particular instant, I had a list of about 30 names, and when we had finished, he tells me, what kind of man is Yerasimus? This was one of the names of the lists of the list of 30 people that I asked him to pray for. I said Yerasimus is one of the most fervent and most zealous men that I have met in Australia. The elder added, he has much pain in his life. The elder could see in front of him the life of each person. Another time, a lady visited from Montreal. She was a mother of 10 or 11 children, a very special Christian woman. So she took the family picture out and she was showing the elder and the elder was praising her. What a blessed family, what a blessing to have all these children. What a joy. You want me to tell you which one is your best child? And out of the picture of the 10 or 11 children, he points to one child. Isn't this your best child? Yeah, and then you got it. How did you know this? This is my best child. After I went inside, he told me, you know, she's such a great lady. And God showed me with a gift of the Holy Spirit which one was her best child. So I told her so her faith would be strengthened. And I said, Yeranda, she came out floating on air. She was thrilled. Father Porfirios, as we said, has performed countless miracles. This may seem like an exaggeration, 
and I would consider it as such myself if I hadn't met a multitude of people, if I hadn't witnessed most of these things myself. The elder was a pilgrimage. On a daily basis, there would be buses, 10, 15 automobiles, and this every day, hundreds of people. And all this while suffering from about 10 different diseases. He could not always see and talk to every visitor, but he was praying for all of them. He could see everyone, even though he would not enter his cell. He told me, I see them all, and I pray for them. And I feel very bad that I cannot spend time with most of these people. Some people would have their problems solved. They would get their prayer answered without telling him about it. He would simply go to his cell, kiss his hand, and leave. Many times he couldn't speak because of exhaustion. But this did not stop his visitors from being healed. And all they needed to do is kiss his hand and their problems were history. Without a word. He was a very amazing individual. His telephone would ring constantly. Phone calls from all over the world. He was a very pleasant and humorous elder even though he had all these illnesses. He was extremely ill in the last 10 to 15 years of his life. He had three, four heart attacks. He had bad kidneys, hernia, eruption of the stomach, blindness, the shingles, cancer in various places. And he never asked once, Lord, heal me. Take these illnesses away. While he was curing so many sick people, he was refusing to ask the Lord for himself. He was telling us, I am embarrassed to ask Christ to heal me. He felt embarrassed. He also told us not to ask the Lord on his behalf, but to simply pray, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on your servant Porphyrius. Don't ask him to heal me, just ask him to have mercy on me. Not to mention that I asked him to give me all these illnesses myself as form of a small sacrifice so I can show some love for Christ. He asked to have illnesses so he can show love to Christ, to share in the sufferings of Christ. Many times he would tell the doctors not only his symptoms, but the entire description and diagnosis of his illness. He would tell them, for instance, that the inside linings of his stomach have this and that problem at this specific spot, and that's why I'm bleeding. He was seeing the causes of the diseases without an examination or any kind of instruments. His diagnosis was perfect because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. I heard many doctors at the polyclinic of Athens who were involved with the elder, and they were saying, we were the doctors, but the elder had the last word. He was a very pure man, very, very pure. He had this gift from his youth, from 17, 18 years old, because he was extremely pure and humble and very obedient. In his few years of monasticism in the Holy Mountain, he did perfect obedience to his elders. He had great love for God, and he asked in prayer to be given and suffer from long-term illnesses for humility and to suffer for the love of God. He was very humble indeed. 
One day I went to see him and he told me, Mr. Nico, Felix Xilo, you need a beating, but I am sick and I can't get up to let you have it. I asked why, Elder, because I learned that you talk about my person. You talk about me in some of your talks. In some of my sermons, I had mentioned about the holiness of the elder, and it, it got back to him. And he said, you are surprised because God gave me a few gifts, and I do a few miracles now and then. Don't be impressed by these things. The gifts and the miracles do not belong to me. They belong to God. What belongs to me are my sins only. And I'm very much afraid that the Lord may punish me. He gave me these gifts and the power to do some miracles in order to somehow become motivated, to become a better human being because I'm not good. Can you hear this? The elder is saying that he's not good. And he continued, Do you see what the gospel says? On that day they will tell me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not perform signs and miracles in your name? And I will tell them, I don't know you. I'm afraid that this may happen to me. At some point, he gave me some advice about my sermon delivery. And this clearly shows the humility and nobility of his soul. So he gave me some advice, which I thought was proper and correct. And after a few days, when I came to see him again, he said, Mr. Nico, please forgive me. Why, Elder? Forgive you for what? Because I attempted to give you constructive criticism. I attempted to correct you about your sermon, forgetting that I am an illiterate person. I went ahead to correct a scientist, a man of the university. I shouldn't have done this. Please forgive me. I said, Elder, you needed to do this. Your observation was correct. It was well taken. And I will try to rectify this flaw in my delivery. And I consider your advice a great blessing. Some people came from overseas to see him and hear some spiritual words from his mouth. They sat there for a very long time and the elder was silent. He was not speaking. And at some point, one of the visitors said, Elder, we came from very, very far, and we would like to hear you say a couple things to us. Please tell us something spiritual. A couple words. At that point, he broke his silence, and he uttered, My children, what should I tell you? I feel some regret because I didn't come to love God as much as I should. I regret and I feel some sadness because I didn't love God as much as necessary. Can you imagine the elder saying that he didn't love God as much as necessary? But anyhow, Mr. Nico, I heard that even the animals were very fond of him and many times they would approach him and kiss his hand and so many different things. Yes, there are some things that I have difficulty talking about. And this, not for you, Mr. Sandaraliotis, because you are a man of faith and you have no difficulty in accepting these things. 
But I don't know how many of our listeners at this point are listening with faith and how many are full of doubts. Mr. Nico, the message that we're trying to bring across to our listeners today is that we still have saintly elders. These great ones may have left us, but we still have saintly elders. We have them and we will continue to have them. The people of faith and the saints and the charismatics and miracle workers will never be absent from the Orthodox Church. The Lord lives and his church is alive. And as I said earlier, I make it a point to send the unbelievers, the rationalists, and the atheists at different places of miracles, ongoing miracles, so they can see these things with their own eyes, and if they are of good disposition to come to believe. So at some point in the slopes of Evia, Father Porfirio saw an eagle miles away, very high up, extremely high, and the elder called the eagle to come down. Eagle, eagle, come on down. And the eagle took a dive and landed next to the elder. This is not hard for the saints. They live at a state before the fall. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were in close communion with all the animals, and the animals did obedience to men. This is what happens with the saints. We read in the life of Saint Savas the Sanctified, by the way, his holy relics, his body is incorrupt in his monastery in the Holy Land, it was given back to us by the papists, and his body is very fragrant to this day. So in the life of Saint Savas, for instance, and in the lives of many other saints, we read that Saint Savas had a lion in his cave and became his friend. When St. Savas left from the monastery, how did he leave from the monastery? Well, the monks chased him away because he was very strict, very harsh. You are strict. You are impolite. We can't stand you anymore. So they threw him out of the monastery. What blunder some people often fall into in their judgment of others. So they threw him out, and he went to the mountainside, and he entered a cave, and he found a lion in it was not afraid at all. Holiness tames nature and brings it to the state before the fall. So St. Savas broke the silence and said, while petting the lion, he said, listen, you can stay here. There's enough room for both of us. We will divide the cave in half. This is your side and this is my side. So they shared, they shared the cave and they lived there very happily. I'll try to convince and get worldly people to believe these things. They will laugh at you. Mr. Nico, before we close this segment about Father Papilius, we need to mention that we have a multitude of testimonies from people who had a change of heart after meeting Father Papilius. Indeed, we have a plethora of such examples from inside Greece and from abroad. I personally know of a man from Patras. He was a good man, but certainly not a church goer. He did not have any relationship with the life of the church. He had a problem with his health, and he came to Athens with his wife, and we took him to Father Porfirius. He blessed him, and from that point on, from that moment on, his health problem disappeared, and he became 
instantly a very zealous Christian. He became heavily involved in the scriptures, the life of prayer, the word of God, visiting monasteries. He lives a brand new life now. There are many, many more examples of people who became renewed, many who were saved from the grace of the elder. I will mention something quite extraordinary, something that has left a great impression on me personally. Because this sort of a gift I found nowhere, not even in the books and the writings of the church. I can only offer this personal thought, maybe because we are living in the last days, in the eve of the appearance of the Antichrist, God has given us many signs and miraculous saints to strengthen the few Christians, the remnant. And someone who keeps his eyes open can see that we have great miracles today and many miraculous saints. Father Porphyrius, the man of very limited education, he finished the second grade of elementary school, as we said. He had the ability to speak to every scientist with a specific terminology of his profession. To the biologist, he would speak with the biological vocabulary. To the doctor, with the terminology of medicine. To the chemist, with the terminology of chemistry. To the nuclear physicist, to the physicist, with the perfect term of nuclear physics, mind you. People were confounded. One of our well-known Greek Christian astronomers, Mr. Frangos, he has written many books, articles, has done much work in astrophysics, nuclear physics. When he visited the elder Porphyrios for the first time, and again, this man is a world-renowned scientist. He has taken part in about 30 international conventions of scientists. He is a great scientist with special interest in nuclear physics, advanced technology. So when he went to the elder for the first time, the elder started a conversation about subjects of nuclear physics, advanced technology, astronomy, and this poor man was speechless. He came out astonished in shock. He started asking, did the elder study nuclear physics or astronomy? The listeners laughed at him. Why, why are you laughing? What university did the elder go to? They told him, no, the elder did not have much schooling at all, except two grades of elementary school. But he speaks to everyone with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks with the scientific language of every branch of science. Along the same lines, another scientist, an astronomer by the name of Kondopoulos, came to see Father Papilius, and the elder told him about a certain idea. He helped him with an idea which he presented at an international astronomy convention, and all the participants were amazed about this Kondopoulos idea which was really Father Porphyrius's. He had an amazing gift. At some point, a metallurgist, a metal worker, wished to visit the elder to bless his sick child. So we went and he blessed the child and the child became well. And Father Porphyrius opened a discussion with a father who was indifferent spiritually. He was very worldly, secular, 
and unfortunately he's still the same way. So Father Porfirios asked him, what kind of work do you do? He said, well, I'm a metallurgist. And Father Porfirios proceeded to tell him all the specific metals that he worked with, some rare metals that I never heard of before. And after all the years of my education, very difficult names of rare metals, I never heard them. And I never knew that these metals existed. The metallurgist was greatly amazed. The elder was describing the interior of his workshop and all the different metals that he was experimenting with. And this man sat there staring at the elder, dumbfounded, speechless. And the elder continued, and inside the top drawer of your desk, you have a copy of the Holy Scriptures, Mr. Lefteri. Yes, elder, I do. Yes, but you never take it out of the drawer to read it. You keep it in the drawer, but you never read it. This man came out in deep thought. He was perplexed. His world was just shaken because he always thought that the matters of faith are inventions and myths of the priests. His father was telling me that the grandfather of the little boy who was healed, the papu, who was a believer and a very religious man, he was telling me, Nico, my son Lefteri, from the moment he came out of the cell of Father Porfirios, is very solemn. He's in a state of deep thought. He's solemn. I asked, why is this, Mr. Costa? Well, because he always thought that our faith is full of myths and made-up stories, and now he's shaken. And he was shaken for several months, but after that he continued in a life of denial and indifference. If the time of grace does not come, if man does not humble himself in front of God, if he doesn't repent without fervent prayer, if he doesn't ask for the mercy of God, the grace of God does not come. We need to also touch upon the end of Father Porfirius' life, his departure from this earthly life, and it is especially touching. Father Porfirius being aware of the end of his earthly life, he went to the holy mountain. He was driven by car. His spiritual children put him on a stretcher and fit him inside a car. And he told him, I want you to take me to the holy mountain so I can die there. He did not wish to die in Athens. So he could avoid the honor and the publicity and all the usual events around the funeral of a very public figure. So he went to the holy mountain and he joined five of his monks at Capsucalibia. And when his time of departure drew near, he told them that time has come. Come, let us, let us all pray together because I'm leaving. They prayed, he raised his hands, and he gave up his spirit like a little bird. His death was so calm and peaceful. Before he died, he gave strict orders to the monks not to announce this to anyone and not to invite anyone to his funeral. His burial was to take place immediately with the rising of the sun. He lived very humbly, and he died very humbly. The Bishop of Florina, Augustinos Candiotis, when he heard about his death, he called Athens full of emotion. And he said, 
that the humble way that Father Porphyrios chose to die with, escaping all honor and praise from men, is indicative of the holiness and greatness of this man. We used to tell him, Elder, when you leave, we will feel at such a loss, a loss for the spiritual support of our soul. He replied, when I leave, I will help you from heaven. There is no such thing as death for the true believer, he used to repeat. What did Christ teach? Anyone who believes in me will not see death unto the age. He used to scold us when we used to talk about death. What are you saying, my child? Death? There is no death for the Christian. Anyone who lives inside the church and truly lives the life of the church, he will not taste death. He's simply transplanted in a higher spiritual state. And from there, I'll be able to help you even more. A few weeks after his death, one of his spiritual children was away, and he was unaware of the death of the elder. So he called the number of his cell, and he heard the voice of the elder telling him a solution to his problem. He advised him, and then at the end of the conversation, he told him, please don't call me here anymore. I have died. I know this may be hard for some people to believe, but there's nothing impossible with the saints of God. Our saints are alive. They are vessels of the Holy Spirit.